The scripture reading today is from Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All this I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Thanks, Jerry. We're going to look at this passage together now. Let's pray and ask that God would help us. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for the way that it shows us Jesus. Please help us to understand. Please help us to see Jesus. And please help us to grow in faith in him. We ask this in his name. Amen. You know, uh, sometimes you can't be sure until you've put something to the test. I, uh, I put a, an Aldi rainwater tank on uh, an Aldi water pump on my rainwater tank on uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago to water the garden. I spent ages figuring out all the parts that I would need and measuring the connections and making a list. I even read the manual. And then when I was sure that I had the list right, I jumped in my car and I drove up to my tent to get the parts that I need. It was quick and easy. I was in and out with all the parts I needed, uh, less than half an hour. I got home excited to put it all together and to get it going. You can probably guess where this story is going. I had all the right pieces except for one. Instead of a three-quarter inch piece, I'd gotten a one-inch piece. It just wasn't going to work. Everything seemed good until I tested it, until I put it together, and then I realised my mistake. Now, smarter than pe people than I have learned to take all the parts with them to the hardware store for exactly this reason. You see, sometimes you just can't be sure until you've put it to the test. It's true of all sorts of things. You, you can't be sure you put the motor back together right until you turn the key in the ignition. You can't be sure the recipe will work until you cook it. You can't be sure you really understand something until you try and teach it to someone else. You can't be sure until you put it to the test. Last week in Matthew 3, we heard from John the Baptist. John was going before Jesus, preparing the way, calling God's people to repent and to bear fruit because God's promised king is here. In Jesus, God's own son, the kingdom of heaven has come. And we saw how Jesus, this promised king, he has come to save his people. He came down to be baptized, to humble himself and to join his people in their repentance. Jesus is the gentle king who comes to save his people from their sins. This sounds like a king who is worth following. But can we be sure? Sometimes we can't be sure until we put it to the test, until we see it in action. It's like the politician who seems great on their campaign, but when they get into office, they backflip on their promises. Is Jesus like that? How can we really be sure that he can save his people? How can we be sure that he is the righteous son of God? How can we really be sure that he's worth following? Well, thankfully, we don't need to put him to the test ourselves. In fact, we're going to see here in Matthew 4 that Jesus has already been put to the test. And when he's put to the test, Jesus shows that he is the righteous and faithful son of God who brings light to the people in the shadow of death. He's been put to the test. It's proven he is a king worth following. 
let's see how Matthew shows us that for ourselves. First, Matthew wants us to see the righteous son. Remember, Jesus has just been baptised by John in the Jordan. He saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove, and he heard the voice of God, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What a high point. So the next thing that happens is a bit of a surprise. Look there in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. See, the same spirit that just descended on Jesus to empower him for ministry leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. The word tempted here, it literally means tested. Jesus is led by the spirit to be tested in the wilderness, to be proven. He's going to face the devil. What is going to happen? Now, we might be tempted to write this off, to downplay it. How can this be a real test? Jesus is the Son of God. How tempted can he really be? But Matthew wants us to see that Jesus, he's not only the Son of God, he's also truly human. See, he's hungry after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that might seem like the biggest understatement ever. After all, I get hungry between lunch and dinner and have to go to the fridge for a snack. But Matthew wants us to see that Jesus truly is human. Can you imagine how hangry you would be after 40 days and 40 nights? This is a real genuine test. What will happen? But before we see what's going to happen, there's one more thing that we need to realise. You see, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is not just an individual. He is the representative of all of God's people. He is the new Israel. Will he pass the test where all God's people have failed before him? Matthew has actually been showing us this since the start of the book. Jesus was born in Israel but had to escape to Egypt for safety, like God's people fleeing to Egypt to escape the famine in the days of Joseph. Jesus left Egypt and he went through the water of the Jordan in baptism, like God's people escaped Egypt and went through the water of the Red Sea and then the Jordan to enter into the Promised Land. Now Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days and 40 nights, like Israel tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, if that's not enough to show us that Matthew's making a connection between Jesus and Israel, Jesus is going to respond to each of Satan's temptations by quoting from Deuteronomy. That's a speech that Moses gave to God's people after they'd been in the wilderness for 40 years and they're about to go into the promised land. Reminding them to learn the lessons of the wilderness and to obey God. Matthew wants us to see, he wants to set up Jesus as Israel 2.0. The question is, will Jesus succeed where Israel failed? Will he be faithful where they were unfaithful? Will he grumble at God and turn after other gods when things get tough like they did? Will he be like Moses, angry with God, striking the rock instead of obeying God's command? Will he be like all the leaders of God's people, 
Like David, a man who, after God's own heart who used his power to commit adultery and murder. Like Solomon, the wise king who, who got carried away by his desires. Will God's people finally have a faithful leader? Will Jesus be faithful where all of Israel hasn't been? The stakes are high. Let's see what happens. Round one, verse three. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The tempter, that's Satan, the great enemy of God and his people, the one who tempted Eve in the garden, he comes to Jesus in his tiredness and hunger and tempts Jesus to use his power to provide for his own needs. Now, there is zero doubt that Jesus can do this. Later on, he's going to feed 5,000 men with a few loaves of bread. He can make a couple of rocks into loaves. But the real question here is, what sort of king is Jesus going to be? Is he going to use his power as the son of God to make things easier for himself? To avoid avoid suffering, avoid the tests, to take care of his own needs. Verse 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is not going to do it. He quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3. Now it's worth reading a couple of verses from Deuteronomy here, because the context of those verses fills out what's happening here beautifully. These are Moses' words to Israel before they go into the promised land. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see the parallels there? The Lord tested his people in the wilderness. He let them hunger and he fed them with manna, miraculous bread from heaven. He did it all to humble them, to see if they would obey his commands and to teach them that they don't live by bread alone, They don't live by their own efforts, by what they can get, by mere food. They live by every word from the mouth of the Lord. The Lord wanted them to know that they depend on him. They are creatures and he is creator. They need more than mere food to live. They need the word of the Lord for spiritual sustenance. They need to hear and obey him. They depend on him and they can't truly live without him, no matter how much bread they have. Jesus lives out this lesson. He refuses to use his power to live as if he can take care of himself without God. He recognises that, like Israel, he lives in dependence on God and in dependence on God's word. So he obeys. The devil has another crack at him, round two. Look in verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple 
and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. This time it's the devil quoting scripture. He takes Jesus to the very top of the temple in the middle of Jerusalem and he tells him to throw himself down. And then he backs it up with Psalm 91. God takes care of his people who trust in him. He will command his angels to catch you. So why not? This is a chance for Jesus to test God's care of him. Maybe even to show off in front of a huge crowd in the temple. To be recognised as God's king without all the suffering and trouble that Jesus is going to face. Will Jesus give in? Verse 7. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This time Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16. When God's people enter the promised land, they shouldn't test God like they did when they whinged that he had led them into the desert to die. That's back in Exodus 17. Instead, they must keep his commandments. God would rescue Jesus, but Jesus would be forcing his hand. This isn't an act of trust. This is an act of manipulation. It would be artificially creating a situation where God has to intervene. Jesus would not be trusting God. He would be using God. But Jesus won't do it. He won't test the Lord. He is faithful again. So the devil has one more bite of the cherry, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. The devil shows Jesus all the glitz and glamour of the kingdoms of the world, all their power and their glory, and he offers it all to Jesus for the low, low price of falling down to worship him. The devil is offering to Jesus what is rightfully going to be Jesus anyway. Think back to Psalm 2. God's king is the one that God will give the nations and the ends of the earth. At the end of Matthew, what's Jesus going to say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Satan is offering to Jesus what he will end up with anyway. But he's offering all of this without the cross. Without all that pesky suffering. Without trusting and obeying God. Without opposition and persecution. Without the waiting. All of this could be Jesus right now. Imagine the good Jesus could do with that power. And he wouldn't have to suffer. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus refuses. The ends don't justify the means. Jesus has not come to rule as king. He has come to save his people from their sins. He has not just come to rule as king. He has come to save his people from their sins. He's a gentle king who has come to give his life as a ransom for many. This is not the way. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. The Lord is the only one. God's people should worship or serve. Jesus will worship God alone. And he sends 
the devil away. Jesus has done it. He has stood the test. He proves himself to be the faithful one. Adam was tempted in paradise and he fell. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness after 40 days of hunger and he's righteous. Where Israel grumbled and complained, Jesus trusts in his father. Where David used his power for himself, Jesus lives in dependence on God. He has been tested. He is faithful. Now, Matthew doesn't show us this so that we know how to stand up under temptation. He's not giving us Jesus as an example to say, when we're tempted, we should quote scripture. Now, it's certainly a good thing. It's something I find helpful when I am tempted. But that is not why Matthew wrote this. He wants us to see Jesus. Jesus is the righteous, faithful one. Jesus is the one who stands up under temptation where we fall. Jesus is the one who is faithful where we're faithless. The one who is righteous even under great pressure. Matthew wants us to look to Jesus and see that Jesus is worthy. That he is a king worth following. That he is the righteous son of God. He has been tested and we can be sure. The way to apply this is not by trying to reverse engineer techniques for standing up under temptation. That's the wrong way entirely. That's making it all about our own efforts, depending on us. Now, the way to apply this is to look to Jesus, our righteous king, to follow him, to live in dependence on him, to trust in his care and his help, to cry out to him and to be thankful that he, the righteous one, died for us. Matthew wants us to see Jesus, the righteous son of God. The devil leaves and his angels come and care for him. Just like God promised to care for his people in Psalm 91. That psalm that the devil quoted. This isn't the end of temptation or testing for Jesus. But Jesus has proven that he can stand and be faithful under temptation. And he will all the way to the cross. So now that Jesus has been tested and proven, he goes and begins his public ministry. That's the next thing Matthew wants us to see, that we should follow the dawning king. We're more than halfway now. It all starts with moving house, but this is no ordinary move. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus moving fulfills God's Old Testament promises and shows that he's the promised king. Look in verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, no swelling in the region and shadow of death. On them a light has dawned. Uh, a few times I've gotten up early and I've climbed Tabletop Mountain to watch the sunrise. It's always worth it. That moment where the sun peaks over the horizon and the world is filled with light. And that's what Jesus' coming is. It's the dawning of the light that God promised his people back in Isaiah 9. 
God spoke these words to his people through Isaiah to encourage them when they were in exile. They would return to land and light would dawn on them. Not just on them, but eventually on all nations, on the Gentiles as well. And now that light is here in Jesus. They are in darkness, but he is the light of the world. They are under the shadow of death, but Jesus, the gentle king, has come to defeat death once and for all by his own death and resurrection. And he comes proclaiming this good news. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message we heard John the Baptist preaching last week. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that God promised in the Old Testament to bring about for his people, it's here. It's right around the corner, about to arrive. But where John was the herald of a kingdom about to arrive, Jesus is the king proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. The kingdom that has arrived in him. And the only right response to this kingdom is to repent. We saw last week that means to turn away from sin and to turn to God. To turn away from running life your own way. Away from pride, away from ignoring God, away from trying to be good on your own. And turning to God in dependent faith that flows out in obedience. Jesus proclaims this same message because this is the response that the kingdom demands. Both in them and in us. At the start of the Christian life and all through your life, our response to Jesus' kingdom is to repent. Matthew gives us a picture of what this looks like in the next verses. Matthew 18, verse 18, sorry. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls Simon Peter and Andrew to follow him. In those days, that's how things would normally work for an important teacher, for a rabbi. He would gather disciples who would follow him around everywhere and who would learn from him. But there's something greater going on here. This is painting us a picture of our response to this king. You see, Jesus is filling out what it means to repent. It's not just turning away from sin and turning to God. It's turning to God by following Jesus. Our response to the coming of the kingdom is to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus. That means trusting him, listening to him through his word, obeying him, following him. And that's how Simon and Andrew respond. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. These guys are fishermen. They're running a business. And they drop it all straight away and they follow Jesus. They turn away from their current lives to follow him. And they aren't a one-off. Jesus makes the same call to James and John. And they leave their boat and their father and they follow Jesus. Why would they do this? Well, it is possible that they see an opportunity to become disciples of a rabbi and jump at it. In that time, that is a step up from being a fisherman. 
But I think it's more likely that they have some idea of who Jesus is. They've heard the message that he's proclaimed about the kingdom. Maybe they went down to be baptised by John and they heard about the coming Messiah. And when he calls them to follow, no cost is too great. They leave everything behind to follow him. And they will keep following him. Eventually, every one of these men will suffer and die for following Jesus. But they see, even if they don't get the whole picture yet, that Jesus is the king. He is the light that has dawned on God's people, and so they follow him. Now Jesus begins his ministry in earnest, not just by teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, by demonstrating it, by healing the sick and those oppressed by demons. The kingdom of heaven, where one day there will be no more sickness or suffering or pain, the kingdom where God, where God will rule and set all things right, that kingdom has dawned in Jesus. These healings are a taste, a demonstration, an appetizer of the kingdom that is at hand. News of this gets out, goes far and wide, and people respond. And they respond rightly. Verse 25. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus is the tested king, the righteous, faithful son of God, the king worth following, the king who gives light and life to his people. We need to hear Jesus' call to repent and follow him. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted in Jesus, Today is the day. Why not? Turn away from your sin that can never satisfy you. Turn away from the darkness and the shadow of death and turn to Jesus. Trust him. Follow him. Find in him real life. Come chat to me if you want to know more about that today. But this isn't just a call for people who aren't Christians yet. This is a call from all of us to keep turning away from sin and to keep following Jesus. Are you prepared for the cost of following Jesus? It will be costly. Like Peter and Andrew, there are things that you will need to leave behind. To turn away from. You will need to let go of that sin that you keep finding comfort in. You will need to let go of running your life your own way. You will need to let go of being comfortable and safe. You will face mockery. People won't get you. Your family might think you're crazy. Your friends might turn away. You might lose a job when you can't sign something which goes against your, God's word. You might face financial difficulty because you refuse to do business like everyone else does. At some point in the future, you may even face imprisonment or fines or even death for following Jesus. This is the way it has always been for thousands of years and thousands and thousands of Christians around the world face that reality every day but it is worth the cost Jesus is the gentle king the tried and true king 
the faithful, righteous Son of God who saved us, even by going to his own death on the cross. He is the one who brings life to a people who are under the shadow of death. He brings light to a people in darkness. He is the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. The one who promises that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. It is worth the cost to follow this gentle king. It's true that sometimes you can't be sure of something until you've put it to the test. But Jesus has been tested. He is tried and true, faithful even under temptation and worthy of our trust, worthy of our lives. So repent. Turn away from your sin and follow Jesus, the righteous and faithful Son of God who brings light to his people in the shadow of death. Repent and follow the gentle King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your word, for the way that it shows us, Jesus, your faithful and righteous Son. Please help us to turn away from sin and to follow him, to keep doing that all of our days. Help us to follow him even when it's costly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.